When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. Welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. Flynn, we started this show in 2019 with the hopes that a tour would be just around the corner to the light of day. <laughs> and it's been three and a half years. It took a while, but here we are. Yes, this is what we were hoping to do back in 21, or even 20 at the time, and we're thankful that we're going to be able to talk about some new shows, analyzing some current set lists, and uh, yeah, this is uh, this is this is what we uh, started this podcast to do. It really is, and we just want to say we're not going to do any spoilers. I was trying to be as spoiler free as possible, but the fact is, in the internet age, it's just impossible, <laughs> especially if I'm going to run our Twitter account and see things. So we do know some stuff. We're going to try and be spoiler-free, but it's going to be impossible. So if you don't want to know anything, we totally understand, and probably you should wait to listen to this episode until February 2nd. Yeah, we're not going to go down the all the songs that he's rehearsed, but I'm sure we'll probably allude to some of them, probably uh, maybe even mention a couple specifically, but I'm sure they won't be uh, mind-blowing, that's for sure. So yeah, if you really want to stay in blackout mode, if you don't want to know what's coming, as Hal said, uh, turn it off now and come back on February 2nd. Yeah, and we're going to get to the tour preview. We do have some news about our show at the end. We're going to be doing some cool stuff, but we'll save that till a little later in the show. The rehearsals have been proceeding. They started at the Vogel Theater in Red Bank. They were there for about a week. They've now moved to Trenton Arena, and they're going to wind up at the arena in Tampa to do a couple of final run-throughs. There seems to be a set list in place from what we've been seeing and what they've been doing every day. Yes, that's the that's the kind of the set they've been running through on, on most days. They've been at the Vogel anyway. We don't have total confirmation of what's been done out, at, out in Trenton. But it does seem like uh, he has a set list. He's tweaked a little bit. Some days he just ran through a, a certain section of the show, but he does have it in place, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves because it always does. It totally does, and and we know that where he starts next week in Tampa is not going to be where he is three or four months from now. One of the things I've been interested in is the makeup of the band and how that might impact the choices. We're hearing it may be as many as 20 people, right? Yeah, they, they got the E Street Horns. They have the E Street Choir. And I even heard, I've heard some whispers about about somebody on a, some kind of uh, other string instrument in, in addition to Susie. So, yeah, that's going to be a lot of people on stage. And I don't know how that impacts Bruce's song selections, whether he can just turn around and call out a song or whether they really have to run through everything before uh, they feel uh, they feel they can do it uh, in front of a crowd. Well, I think we have an idea from 2012. Probably if he calls out a song that certain players don't know, they're just not going to play on that song. Well, yeah, that's I guess that's true. So from what we know in Red Bank, so far they've rehearsed about 40 songs. What are your thoughts on that? It's obviously a smaller number than we would expect prior to a Springsteen tour. But I do think that he has a real idea of what he wanted to do opening night. He had mentioned in several interviews that he actually had a set list planned, I think, over a year ago. Yeah, he well, he had talked about writing out a set list for the Letter to You tour when he was actually doing some interviews for when that album came out. But of course, that was before only the Strong Survive came out, and obviously he was going to tweak it some more. And yeah, it looks like I'm going to guess that he sent out the, the the set list to to the band members prior to obviously the first day of rehearsals to say this is the songs you guys need to know when we first start rehearsing on what, what whatever day it was, February 9th or January 9th. And so they came in, they played the set, and the way I interpret it is they were songs that were going to be somewhat familiar to them. There were obviously a few new ones in there. He's released three albums since they last toured. 
but they need to get their road legs back. And I think, I think that's the important thing. And once they get their road legs back, then I think Bruce is going to start throwing, start throwing more stuff at them, start sound checking some more stuff. And hopefully that'll really open it up and we'll get to the 120 songs that he's been known to do over the course of a tour. I agree fully. And there's been some concern online with the set list that they appear to be playing. I think it's way too premature for that. First of all, nobody should be critiquing a show before there's actually been a show. <laughs> That's just my yeah, opinion. That, that, is, that is true. That is true. Yeah. yeah. I know a strong opinion, but that's what I believe. <laughs> and the other thing is, for me, if they run through the same set list day after day after day prior to the tour, and that's what he plays night one, and it's tight, and it's focused, and it works, that's more important to me at the start than having 75 or 100 songs ready. You oh, and exactly. I saw an opening night. Now, granted, they did rehearse quite a bit in 2002, but then they went out with a set of Complicated songs, I think, from The Rising. Whatever the issue was that night, we know there were some technical problems, but August 7, 2002, opening night of The Rising Tour at the Meadowlands was easily the worst show I've ever seen <laughs> where all the E Street Band members were in attendance. Yeah, they were really they were really off that night, and we don't know exactly how, what exactly happened. I mean, they had rehearsed. Uh, several, like you said, for a few weeks there, and they had to rehearse the, the rising material quite a bit. And so I don't know what happened that opening night. I don't think anyone does until we can ask Bruce, and he he's probably blocked it from his memory. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> there were but, four uh, rehearsal shows that year. That's the unbelievable thing. And the Today Show, the rehearsal shows were a lot better than the actual eventual opening night. Just something went off there. So yes, for and here, but, but hold on oh, one second, Hal. Yeah. I just want to yeah. point out that the the next two shows kept kept improving on that one. So it wasn't like they hit bottom and stayed there. They they hit bottom and then they kind of came up gradually at the shows in DC and, and then the Garden. They did take a little time, even with those two shows, to settle in. And I think it was a few weeks before they really nailed that basic set on the Rising Tour. The Vegas show w was very good. And then from there, he, as you were saying, once they got to the point of nailing the show, he did start to introduce other material into it. Most notable one in 2002 was the what was then the new version of Dancing in the Dark. <laughs> yeah, they, he threw in a few others uh, over the course of that leg. And we, we don't want to get too far off the course of, this, of the 23 tour. But yeah, but it wasn't until the second leg uh, I get that resumed, I guess, in late September, right after his birthday, that things really opened up. And, and honestly, I kind of expect the same thing here. He's, uh, he's playing a lot of shows, a lot of one-nighters over the course of, obviously, most of the, most of the first leg here in the U.S., and but I expect uh, like about a month into it, I think that's when he's going to start calling out, hey, let's do uh, Cadillac Ranch or let's let's throw in working on the highway. And I think they're, they're going to be able to nail it, even if they haven't re rehearsed it prior to this tour. It'll sound like they just they did like back in 16 or 17, as, as, as you say. One of the things I was wondering is how extensive the sound checks they'll do on this tour. Of course, they're six years older. These shows take a lot of energy. They're spaced out more because of that. And you wonder if they'll be able to take 90 minutes to work up two, three new songs a day. It, that's going to be interesting to see how that develops and how he introduces stuff to the set once they get beyond the, the opening nights. Well, two things. is The first is that I don't expect them to sound check for 90 minutes. I think an hour, an hour focus sound check working on two or three songs, as you said, maybe even focusing on one one or two songs and doing it in, in 45 minutes. So I don't expect anything over much over an hour. And second thing is, is I'm I'm kind of comparing this and hoping that it turns out the same way as a Wrecking Ball tour did and, and, and the high hopes, the extension of it. Whereas you have the same kind of, you have a horn section, you have a choir, you have the extra percussionist, and they did a lot of different stuff on that tour, right? And yeah. I was very happy with that tour. I, I loved it tremendously. They delved into some 92 stuff. They played stuff off the promise. They did a lot of stuff off track. So there's a lot of potential there as long as they can kind of rekindle what, what they were doing then. And that's always a big if. I think you're right about the 2012 tour. And I'm hoping that's sort of the model for this tour. 
As we know, that was the last time he had a very focused set list to start a tour. It was centered around loss and those that weren't there. And the show was very effective. And, and I think 2012 stands as the best year of touring they've done since the Magic Tour. Oh, I certainly agree. And I would, I would say that continued into 2013. And I'm hoping that, again, that it's this same kind of kind of focus. You start, start with, a, with a set. You know what you want to play. You get, you get the new songs ready. And then as the tour pro- progresses, you you move into playing different stuff. You move into playing Talk to Me or Loose Ends and all that kind of that kind of fun stuff that I had mentioned earlier. Let's talk about the new material because he's got three records. Of course, he has Western Stars, which this is not really a spoiler. It's unfortunate. He has not rehearsed anything from Western Stars as far as we know. And he has previously said he didn't plan on playing anything from Western Stars I am hoping that changes. He, of course, also has Letter to You, which I do think will be the emotional center point of the show. And he also has Only the Strong Survive, the Soul Covers record that just came out a couple of months ago. So that's a lot of new material to potentially focus on, even if he's only looking at the last two records for songs to play. I hope that Letter to You is is the is the new album basically that this tour is is focused around is centered around. But it is a disappointment that even some of the rockers on or the two rockers that appear on Western Stars are most likely not going to get played. And you know I'm a big fan of Tucson Train, and I know Sleepy Joe's Cafe seems kind of like a lightweight on that album, but I think it would lend itself to to a full band arrangement. And only the strong survive. That's 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 interesting to see how he's going to incorporate it, because all those songs to me are basically stuff he would do in the encore. They would be the fun things that he would bring the horns in and just go nuts, kind of like sweet soul music or what what else did he do do in uh, in 88? Uh, Something like uh, have love will have have love will travel. I was thinking more of the horn driven kind of thing, but. So it's going to be interesting. I don't know if, you know, there's no epic song on Only the Strong Survive that would kind of go in the place of or be matched up with something like Backstreets or or The Rising. Well, and this is the trick because we do know what's been rehearsed. And even though we're trying to avoid spoilers, it's silly for us to talk. It's silly for us to talk about stuff that we know and be like, oh, I wonder if he's going to do this. Two of the Only the Strong Survive songs appear to be in the middle of the set. And, and I guess that works. And and one of the songs does indeed, I was thinking of if he wants to do it kind of like in that you're missing spot or in the the spot on the reunion tour that happened between the acoustic acoustic duet with Patty and the beginning of Youngstown. There's one or two that I can see working in that spot. But I would really like to see some of that stuff, the, the rocket stuff in the encores. I think maybe replacing Shout, maybe three songs off Strong Survive instead of a 15 minute Shout. I think that would really, really work for me. The interesting thing about the only the Strong Survive song so far is there were only four songs in the introductory video released when they first announced the record. Then he did four videos. It was the same four songs. He was on Fallon. It was the same four songs. And now from what we know from what he's rehearsing, the only songs he's rehearsing are from that batch of four songs. So I would like to see, since the album does exist, if he's going to do material from that record, that some of it rotate because there's some really good stuff on there that he hasn't played yet. And it's unclear as to whether he's intending to play it. <laughs> something like night shift. I get, he, he obviously feels that's an important song to him. He does a beautiful version of it. The version on Fallon was really, really good. So I think that's something to look forward to, but I do hope that if he's going to incorporate that record, that he's going to mix it up a bit. <laughs> well, you just want to hear Broken Hearted, don't you? <laughs> I would like to hear that, actually. Well, we're going to save till the end of the show. We've got five songs that we're going to list that we want to hear and five songs that we hope maybe get left out on this tour. And I do have an Only the Strong Survive song on that list, but it's not the one you just named. Oh, okay. That's interesting. All right. And then there are rumors that there's going to be a second not, I guess not really rumors. Bruce himself said that he was working on a second volume of, of these covers. And at one point he said they were 75% done. So maybe we'll get another release or probably we'll get the second volume over the course of, of the tour. I don't know when, but at some point. Well, we know 
that yesterday he did a new photo shoot with Danny Clinch, which was very thematically similar to the first Only the Strong Survive photos. So I'm going to guess that what they shot yesterday is for the Soul album follow-up. And if they're already shooting photos for that, it's got to be coming up fairly soon. What do you think within two months, within three months? What would be your best guess yeah. from, from album cover shoot to, to actual release? Probably two, three months, right. assuming if he's got the material ready to go. The biggest issue on these releases always is the vinyl these days. They may need more lead time than that. Did the only The Strong Survive vinyl come out the same day as the digital? I don't even remember. A lot of times these days, the vinyl actually comes out a little bit later because of those issues. I don't remember since I didn't order the vinyl. I just, I'm, I'm old school. I'm a CD person. <laughs> I guess that's mid school at this point. So uh, yeah, I only got the CD version of it, which came uh, ordered from uh, Amazon. It was, it was here release day. Now, what are we hoping from Letter to You? It, it's not going to be a surprise to anyone, the songs that have been rehearsed. We know which songs he feels are the key songs on Letter to You because he did Ghosts and I'll See You in My Dreams on SNL. Certainly, we know the title track is important to him. And as we had commented at one of the recent appearances, I think it was Stand Up for Heroes, he did House of a Thousand Guitars and he introduced it as The State of My Union. And I had remarked at the time that that seemed to tip off to me that it was very much on his mind. So it's not going to be any, a surprise, I don't think, to anyone when those songs are played. Beyond that awful letter to you, what are we hoping to hear? Well, I want to hear at least one of the three oldies between Janie Needs a Shooter, If I Were the Priest, and Song for Orphans. And I thought about that for a while, even before, way before rehearsal started, that I think If I Were the Priest would be, would be the one that sticks. I think it works better with, um, with say, an unfamiliar crowd, people who are casuals who may not have bought that album, but obviously are there to hear Born in the USA and Glory Days. And so I think that one would work best, especially with the guitar solo at the end. Yeah, that's a good one. I, of course, want to hear Janie Needs a Shooter. There's a couple of others on there that I think are really important emotionally to where he is right now. Last Man Standing, of course, which I think really reflects on his entire experience as a musician. So that one would be good to hear. There's a couple of others. Burning Train, I know people are dying to hear. I don't Me. feel as strongly <laughs> about that one. Yeah, well, I kind of... I understand that. I, I actually, I thought you liked it. I thought it because it, it was more in that '92 vein that that you were into it. But I guess my memory fails me. I would have loved to have heard Ghost into Burning Train into into Prove It. I think that would be a hell of a threesome uh, of an opener. It's not that I don't like Burning Train. I never really thought it was going to be a centerpiece song. Because it is older, I don't think it seems to have the emotional resonance to me that some of the other songs have on Letter to You. If you think of something like Ghosts, that is just so powerful when you think about what he's actually singing there and where he is in his life. And the same thing, I'll See You in My Dreams, and as I just mentioned, Last Man Standing. So to me, Burning Train, I don't think hits the same emotional spot as some of the other songs on the record but I'll, I'll be happy to hear it if he plays it but i think musically it, it kicks i i love the way it sounds i just love the way the keyboards open and and the guitar i think it's pretty guitar driven and i thought it would work great as a second song and don't don't bloat it out and just go right into something more familiar i think that would work really well there's one pairing that he seems to have been doing in the rehearsals that i really want to mention so if you don't want to know Turn away or turn us off for a moment. <laughs> but the House of a Thousand Guitars into Backstreet sequence, which appears to have been done, I think, pretty much at all the rehearsals, just the thought of it gives me chills. The I think it'll be seamless if it actually happens that way once the tour starts, where the piano from House of a Thousand Guitars will go straight into Backstreet's. And I just think that's going to be one hell of a moment if that occurs. That would work. See, and and that's where Bruce's has has been great in the past, taking taking a new song and pairing it with an old song, and kind of giving both give them both like a new a new meaning and a new resonance that makes it makes everything seem current. Yeah, so great. And we saw that once before when he premiered "Back in Your Arms" back in 1999 on August 4th, and that rolled 
there was a sl- short pause, but that rolled right into back streets. And that was also, <laughs> I mean, that was like a pile driver. Yes, it was. So, and, I, and I borrowed that combination on so many of my compilations over the years, ever since. I just can't imagine back in your arms without back streets following it. Look, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I know, but he I like to hear it when he pairs a new song with an old song. I with the emphasis on the new song and the old song getting a new framing. I, that's that's what makes him great. I think some of the concern has been if you read some of the message boards that again I think it's overblown especially since nobody's actually <laughs> seen a show yet. But the concern over some of the war horses that are going to be in the show First of all, it's been six years since they played a show. So it's not the same when they picked up in 2009 and then came back in 2012. They were playing so many shows in that four or five year period. Yes, there were songs that the cumulative impact because they were being played nightly, I think perhaps slipped a little by the end. But you don't have that when you haven't had the band together for six years. Everything should feel fresh. And look, I can't tell anyone how to feel uh, (laughs) because, because I mean, if you don't think it's fresh, you don't think it's fresh. But I I just think that the excitement level, we know it's getting towards the end. You know, we can't ignore the obvious. Bruce is not going to be doing this for that much longer. I don't know how long it's going to be. Maybe it'll be five years Maybe it'll be 10 years. Maybe this is the last time with the band. I just want to enjoy it as much as possible. Uh, we're certainly going to be evaluating the shows and weighing in on the set list. And we know sometimes when he launches a tour, it's more successful than others. You know, you think of 2009. That one never really worked artistically. And it was only when he started playing the album shows at the end that I, I think they came close to matching what they had done the year before. Well, I was just going to say the the great shows on the 2009 tour were the album shows, or were yes. a handful of album shows in, in say October and November. I you, I don't I would not classify any of the shows in the spring of of 09 as great. I didn't see any shows in Europe. Some of them seem pretty good on on based on the recordings, but I they still, as you said, they relied too much on on the old stuff, the stuff that. He had been on he had been on tour since the since October of 07 and he had played a lot of those songs night in night out and he hadn't replaced any with songs from the new album working on a dream which obviously depending on your point of view is a could be a good thing but as he said in 1988 when he was introducing Born to Run I want to sing a new song that's my job and I want to see I do want to see new songs but as you said it's been six and a half years since he's played with the E Street Band in the United States. If you had said in 2008 that he hadn't played song X in six years, that's a big deal. Uh, right. So I think we should kind of apply that rule here, at least for the first month or, or so of the tour. And then we should kind of, as you said, reevaluate where the show's going, how it has or has not evolved, and what's what kind of songs he seems to be uh gravitating to in terms of when he wants to pull something special out another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. I think you almost have to give the whole first leg 
Of course, they haven't played in so long. And also, most of the leg is one night. There's only one venue with two nights, although it gets a little tricky because, of course, there's five total shows in the New York, New Jersey metro area. But I think by the time he gets to Europe, the show is going to really open up. We know that the changes occur anyway when he gets to stadiums. And I just think right now, I'm going to be going out of my mind when I hear (laughs) prove it. Because I haven't heard it in six years and we haven't seen them perform. So I, I, me, that's how I'm going to take it. And that's my perspective on it. If people want to feel differently, we understand that. But I, I just think we have to give them a chance. It, they're not youngsters anymore either. There, there's a lot going on here. Well, as I said, they need to get their road legs back. And I think once that happens, which is does take longer on each tour, it seems. I think once they get their road legs back, they're going to be playing stuff that will will knock our socks off in terms of, oh my God, I can't believe he's playing this song. I do believe we just, as you said, give them a chance. Let's let's get the tour going. Let's get them playing every other night and 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 see where it goes. And and they're going to be on tour for a long time. It's going pretty oh. deep into twenty four, right? Yes, yes, right. Deep so twenty four, right. So we're talking twenty two months here of them being on the road. So if if he doesn't play that rarity in the first month, I do think you should relax and kind of see what happens over the course of of the full tour. And fortunately, all these all these shows are going to are being released via Nugs and John Altschiller is doing the mixing, so everything is going to sound phenomenal. So uh I think we'll all, hopefully we'll all get to hear what we want to hear. I think generally we will, although I'm sure you and I have a couple of songs <laughs> that we have no chance of hearing. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. But you know, yeah, and it's been a while since he played since he's played an unreleased song uh, at the time of the performance. But uh, you know, a hope springs eternal. And you know, wh- what are we have with one, hope in our hearts? <laughs> yes, I actually have one on my list of five that we'll get to at the end. Of course, but it, it, it makes sense. The next thing to take a look at. Let's uh, discuss the potential show length. It reads to me based on what he's been doing. The show is going to be about 26 to 28 songs. We know he had mentioned in a couple of interviews he planned on bringing it in right around the three-hour mark. Is that what it seems to you in in terms of song count? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I think uh, I'm thinking like 245 to to three hours. I think is going to be the going to be the sweet spot for for these shows. And it doesn't have to be four hours long to be a great no. show. It just has to be focused, well performed, and. And with the occasional uh, nice little, not occasional, but the hopefully <laughs> the nightly rarity that's gonna that's gonna cheer us up. But I don't ex- I don't need four hours. Uh, three, I don't need three and a half. I think two two forty five to three is, will will be more than sufficient. I have some experience with this in the Pearl Jam world. From twenty thirteen to twenty eighteen, they played some really long shows, as much as thirty four to thirty six songs a night. When the 2022 tour opened, the shows were cut dramatically. There was really not many shows in 2022 that were longer than two hours and 15 minutes when they'd been playing as long as three and a half hours, especially in the stadiums. And some people were very upset to start. But what I thought they very effectively did was the tighter show first of all, allowed them to drop some war horses. So what Pearl Jam did was they no longer played like their Badlands and their Prove It and the the stuff that we know that gets played most nights, if not every night with Bruce. What they did was they split that up and those songs were no longer played every night. There was a batch of maybe six or eight songs because, of course, they mix it up a lot anyway. But even even Flow, the two nights in London, it wasn't played one of the nights. Many nights, Better Man wasn't played. So what it did was it gave them a chance to make the show shorter. They took out some of the obvious stuff and... The amount of new stuff they played varied depending on where they were on the tour. But I just thought the shows were very, very effective. And and by the end of the tour, I was really digging the fact the shows were 210, 215. They'd come out, they'd rock the joint, they were really tight, and you'd go home happy. Well, that would certainly work for me with Bruce. Obviously, he has a lot of war horses these days, and I feel like... If Thunder Road can no longer be an every nighter, then I don't see any other song that needs to fall into the every nighter category other than Born to Run. He's said on many occasions that 
he plays for the kid who's only coming to one show on the tour and he wants to hear song X, Y, Z. But I would certainly agree with, with what Pearl Jam did about splitting up the war horses and, and not giving, not playing all that, all that stuff right there. And, and certainly talking on the last tour uh, when he was hitting the three and a half, four hour mark, you know, if he didn't include working on the highway or Darlington County or sunny day or a 15 minute version of shout, if he didn't include that, we, we wouldn't miss it. And the show would be nearly an hour shorter and it wouldn't have, have lost anything. Right. So I think That's exactly is, what I'm saying. Right. So I think there's an opportunity for Bruce to do that. Now, whether he will do that and sacrifice promised land or prove it or, or badlands or, or dancing in the dark and, and, and not drop something like, you know, the rare rarity spot that, that we love is, is a different story and a different question altogether. And we've seen this in recent times. He has effectively done this. The July 5th, 2012 archive release, which was the best show I saw in the previous decade, did not include Badlands. It did not include Promised Land. And it did not include Prove It All Night. He played other stuff off Darkness at night, most notably Racing in the Street, which was an epic performance. So you can still give the people what they want, which is what Pearl Jam does. I think the only song that they played every night of the tour, at least of the War Horses, was Alive, and and that's their Born to Run, and I, and I feel the same way with Bruce. Born to Run should be played every night with the band. Everything else, he's got enough stuff, he can rotate. It, it could be Badlands one night, it, it could be Promised Land, it doesn't have to be the same songs every night, and even if the show's a little bit tighter and more compact, it, it can still work that way and people will still leave happy. Yes, and see, that kind of comes back to my my thing about the encores is that I don't mind a stale encore because that's for the party people in the upper deck who just want to hear the, hear the hit. So he'll play glory days and dancing and, and Rosie in that spot and, or in the encores. And I don't care. That doesn't matter because he's playing for the people in that situation. He's playing for the masses there. And if he cuts out Badlands or, or, or prove it or uh, Darlington County from the main set, that's that's even better for me. And and they still get their dancing in the dark in Rosalita. The one thing about Born in the USA, and I've always thought that this was a bit odd. As we know, he doesn't play a lot of the singles. I, I'm going down may pop up once in a while. Cover Me doesn't get played that much. And instead, he plays the Darlingtons and the working on the highway. Bobby Jean. Bobby Jean. The one track, and, and it could be, there's there's two things that come to mind with the title track. Number one, I think it probably is tough for him to sing, and maybe it's it's rough on his voice. And number two, as we know, in the United States, he hasn't played Born in the USA regularly, at least with the band, because of the whole misinterpretation thing. But to me, that's a song, and that's not going to be on my list as a separate from that, but Born in the USA is a song that checks every box. The casual fans go berserk over it. It's an incredible live song, and because it hasn't been played all that much, I, at least for me, I would love to see it. Okay, well, see, in 2009, I saw several Born in the USA album shows. So that kind of, uh, so what you were just saying about the singles not getting played is... Uh, I can kind of refute it. <laughs> well, but that's the one circumstance where they have been played, where he plays the whole that's album. True. That's true. But and thankfully, he's... he hasn't done that since 2013, and I highly doubt that's going to happen <laughs> this year. I don't think so. Or at least he he really shouldn't go there. I think he has a more than enough material off letter to you, and all the all, as you said earlier, all the songs should sound fresh, Warhorse or not, because it's been so long since since they've toured. Before we get to our list of songs. How many songs from the new records, I'll count all three, are you hoping to hear if the show is, say, 26, 27, 28 songs? Well, for me, my my goal would be eight. One from Western Stars, two from Only the Strong Survive, and five from Letter to You. That that would be my ideal sweet spot. Now, I don't think he's going to do that. I think I don't think he's going to get five on off of letter to you and it sounds like western stars may be totally ignored on this tour but as i as i said bruce's bruce has said his job is to play a new song so that's that's what i'm kind of hoping he does i feel along the same lines as you five from letter to you would be great i'm obviously hoping for at least one from western stars only the strong survive i go back and forth now he's obviously put together a band that's intended in part to play that material 
He's been rehearsing a number of songs off that record. Two, three seems about right to me. Uh, A couple of them, as we know, are short, especially Do I Love You, which was the first single, which right there points out the likelihood that it's going to be played because it was the first single. So, yeah, that seems about right. Two, three, seven, eight total from the two most recent albums. And if we could get a song or two from Western Stars, that would be wonderful. Yes, I th- I want to hear more songs post-85 uh, than, than most people do, obviously. But if I think a third of the show is is post-85 or a third of the show is even, you know, post-2016, I, th- I think that would be an absolute uh, new statement for, from Bruce, as, as we'd like to say. And the other thing is, we don't know how often Patty is going to be there. When Patty is there, there's generally what we like to call the Patty slot, <laughs> which I love because it generally means you get tougher than the rest or human touch or brilliant disguise, all of which I'll take any show. So, Me too. and, you know, if we really lucky, maybe you get a little tunnel of love thrown in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, but you're kind of getting ahead of me on that one because I, 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 that's on one of my list here. <laughs> As it is on mine. Well, let's move to the list. Uh, okay. So five songs that we want to hear on this tour. I'll start with the, my first one, and it is going to be the title track to Western Stars. I think that, especially with the band he's put together, the song would sound incredible. And I hope that he takes a stab at it at some point. It, it's clearly one of the more important songs on that record. It's beautifully written, and it, it just seems like it would fit in the show to me. Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, I don't know if they really have the strings for that. That's that's my question, because uh, I, I believe on the album that Flourish is all is all strings. So I don't know if, if Susie and... Apparently there might be another uh, string player on the tour. I don't know if, if the two of them together can make that sound, but I would love to hear it. Well, there's also synths on stage, so I'm sure That's that they can true. emulate it. That's true. They did have uh, horn samples sampled on Mary's Place back on the Rising Tour. So if they can sample horns with Clarence on stage, they can certainly uh, sample a whole string section. Okay. Uh, what about you? Well, I'm going to start off with with Burning Train. That's a song off Letter to You. It's one of my favorites off that album, actually. And as we discussed before, I think it would work really well, really exciting in concert. And, and put it in that in that second slot after Ghost, and and then move into the to a war horse such as such as Prove It or, or even My Love When I'll Let You Down. All right, I certainly hope that all the stuff off Letter to You is played eventually, and that would be. One that I think the crowd will like. Uh, even if the crowd doesn't know it, I think Burn and Train would be exciting for people. My that's, second that's what I'm That's uh, what I'm thinking, that even if people don't know it, uh, the way it's played and the way it rocks will, will grab people's attention. Well, my second one we already gave away, and it's going to be on your list. That's, of course, the title track from Tunnel of Love. With Patty there, I certainly hope it gets played. It should be played more often. It, it's one of his best songs. It was a hit single. That's just one of those little oddities with Bruce that we know that some of the hit singles have been totally ignored for years. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm going to go ahead and repeat that for my second song. I think it's time for Nils to get a new Spotlight song. Um, not to hint at my uh, at a song for my next list, but yeah, because the night could use a little retirement here. And let Nils go to town on the on the middle solo. And then, of course, let him go to town on the on the it's a song ending solo. And obviously it serves as a as a Patty song as well. Now I get a little bit more exotic. My third one, I was trying to think what song would I like to hear, especially with an enlarged band on stage, maybe in a new arrangement and something that would really be cool. And I'm going to go with State Trooper. I think this one is unlikely to be played even once over the course of the tour, but it would be a, a great selection. Okay, well, you're going to have to kind of clarify some things for me on that one yeah, because yeah. you're talking about a big band I'm t- and you're, you're mentioning horns and uh, and extra singers. How does that lend itself to State Trooper? I don't know if that's what Bruce's <laughs> magic is. I mean, if I had to sit through the open all night on the Seeger tour, I think he can come up with a killer <laughs> arrangement of State Trooper. Okay. Look, but at what very- he, look at what he did with Reason to Believe. 
That is true, but that was more of a straight-ahead rocker from the, not, I would say from the get-go, but yeah, he did ter- turn that song into a, into a bluesy number that worked quite well. Well, let me say this. Uh, Arcade Fire, which of course also has a pretty big band with strings and horns and everything, has over time done a, a mean version of State Trooper. So much like with the band version of Jode, where I think he was influenced by what Rage Against the Machine had done, he can borrow from winning regime, and I think it would kill. Okay. All right. Hey, I would love to see it as well. Uh, my third song is another one I've already mentioned, and it's not quite exotic, as as you were saying, but Tucson Train. I think the East Street Band with, the, with those horns could do an, a tremendous job on it. And I know uh, Steve has an arrangement. I think Bruce could do a better one, <laughs> to be perfectly blunt. Yes. And I, and I think it would really, I would be excited to see that. I think I think it could really work. Oh, yeah. That one has to happen. It would be crazy if we went through the entire tour without Tucson Train being played. My next selection, I'm going to take one off Only the Strong Survive, a little bit different than the ones he's done previously. I would love to hear I Forgot to Be Your Lover. I think it could be a real showstopper, sort of in the back-in-your-arms mode. He went to the trouble of making this record. He put it out. Might as well play some of the songs, especially the ones that I think are the best on the record. Okay, that works. That works. Now I'm going to get more. I don't know. I don't know what to call it, but I want to hear roulette. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay. I love that song. uh, And I think it would work really well. Again, with bring in the horns, have a horn, horn arrangement similar to what he did in 88 and bring the intensity and bring it one more time. I could certainly go for that. And my last one is going to be a little tracks to reference. I know he hasn't done anything unreleased in a while, but man, would it be cool if they worked up a nice version of Waiting on the End of the World in advance of the box, which we expect is coming. Well, he said it's coming soon. Yeah, that I hope so. But we, he's been we've been hearing rumors about it for this is literally the fifth year, the fifth calendar year we've we've heard about that. I'm hoping I'm hoping it happens. Uh, yeah. And winning on the end of the world would be pretty cool. That's for sure. And now that I think of it, if it comes out of Christmas time, the tour will still be going on afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm going to go with something similar. A little song called Protection. He worked up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he worked up some kind of arrangement back uh, in '88, early '88, at the before the Tunnel of Love tour. It was rehearsed, and we have a nice little recording, recording of it. It's not the best sound quality, and I, it's not even complete, but it had horns and it's got the guitar. And I think, uh, I think it's time. And but as you said, it's been a while. I think I was thinking about it earlier. The last time he performed a song that was unreleased at the time. Actually, I was going to say like something like Code of Silence from 2003, but I guess he did in 2007. So I guess that doesn't quite count. But how about County Fair and from Small Things from uh, from August of 2003? Let's go with that. Right. And those were played right before Essential came out. So they, they were on his mind because obviously he was preparing that that release and maybe protection falls into the same category at some point. Exactly. <laughs> Now, let's do the five songs we don't want to hear. I'll just read my five because I assume we're going to be very similar on this. Mm -hmm. The five songs I don't want to hear on this tour are Waiting on a Sunny Day. Yep. Shout. Oh, no, not for me. Okay. Wrecking Ball. Well, it's not that I don't want to hear Wrecking Ball. It should not be an every-nighter. See, this is one of the problems I think that he has gotten into with some of these tours lately. He dwells on one song off some of these later day albums, and it's not necessary. The Wrecking Ball album, I'm not talking about the song now, I'm talking about the album, has some outstanding material. It doesn't have to be Wrecking Ball every night. It can be We Take Care of Our Own, which kicks ass. Exactly. Or something else. Yeah. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. Okay, keep going. And then Because Tonight, which again, I'm not saying Because Tonight shouldn't be played at all, but... It's been played every night, I think, since, what, 2008, pretty well, much? It was definitely played every night on the River Tour, on the 16-17 Tour. I don't, I don't think it was played every night in 2009 or even 2008. No, but, you're right. It wasn't. It wasn't. But, but it was played very often. Yes, it was, it was definitely a frequent, uh, a frequent flyer. Is that your five? That's I, my I five. Well, I, I didn't name there was there was one more in the same guys. I get, I listed four. I already sort of gave this away earlier in the episode. Again, I'm not saying this shouldn't be played. This should be played most nights. 
but it should not be played every night. Badlands does not need to be played every night. As I mentioned, July 5th, 2012, one of the best shows of the decade, if not the best show of the decade, it wasn't played. It He did leave it out of shows uh, uh, 10 years ago every so often. Rotate it. It can be Badlands. Uh, it could be Promised Land. It doesn't have to hit the same things. And again, along the same lines of what I was saying with Pearl Jam, where if you're playing 26 to 28 songs a night, you can mix up your war horses and keep the same thematic feel because I really think Badlands and Promised Land are they're on the same record and and they're in the same sort of emotional vein. Don't you agree? Oh, I agree. I would even add Born in the USA to that little rotation there. I think it kind of hits the same notes as as Badlands. And and again, a song that's a song that's ridiculously underplayed in the states, especially since you could make the argument it's the biggest hit of his career. <laughs> Well, the biggest hit technically is Dancing in the Dark. Of but, course. Uh, but the, it's, it's definitely his biggest album by far. Uh, just By far is an understatement. It's miles ahead of everything else. So you want my five? All right. Go ahead. We, we kind of agreed on a few of them. Because the night, surely we can find another spotlight song for Nils Lofgren to do a, to do a solo. And I think Tunnel of Love or even bring back Youngstown, I think, would, would work. Sure. Spirit in the Night. I don't need a 10-minute version of... Spirit and I with half it's of it going. Can you feel the spirit? I, I don't need to hear it's that. It's the 50th anniversary of the record. Uh, I, you know what? I know that, but I guess I saw too many shows at the end of 16 and, and where he played it and, and bloated it out to 10 minutes each time. Uh, this one is definitely going to get played. Uh, Kitty's back. I've never been a fan of the song. <laughs> never been a fan of the song to be perfectly blunt. And, but with the horns on, on stage and, and the 50th anniversary of this one is also coming up. So it's going to get played and I'll just, I'll just learn to learn to like it this time and waiting on a sunny day, of course. And the last one is kind of a generic one. What I don't want to see is a five minute song taken out to 15 minutes. I don't want, I don't need 10th Avenue. I don't need Mary's place. Uh, My city of ruins, even from, from 12, 13, uh, let's boom, boom, boom. Let's keep the songs going. Agree 100%. There you go. I mean, even stuff like Badlands and Out in the Street don't don't need to be bloated out for three minutes of audience uh, sing-along participation. We can, uh, one of the two, not, not both out to seven minutes. I agree. It, uh, the tighter and more concise the show is, I think that that'll be a positive. Yes, yes. But of course... All that being said, I think the opening night is going to be tremendous. It's going to be emotional. It may not be the sharpest performance. It may not be our dream set list, but it's going to be a momentous night anyway. Um, you know, I got not to be too much of a TMI, but I got really emotional at that Steve Roll show about a year and a half ago when he did Darkness. So I and I kind of expect the same thing to happen especially when the lights go out and each band member comes on individually. And then Bruce comes out, good evening, Tampa. And they count into the first song. I think that's going to be one of the top 10 moments of the last 10 years. Well, can't wait. And should we talk about what's happening with our show now? Yes, of course. What Give us the details, Al. The first thing I want to say is if you listen to our show and you love it, which we appreciate so much, It's going to remain totally the same. The two episodes that we release through Evergreen every month will still be on your favorite platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever. They're still going to be there. If you would like more content from us, that's now also going to be an option via our Patreon page, which is patreon.com backslash MBTB podcast. If you go and check it out, you're going to see two levels. There's the, is there anybody alive out there level, which is the standard $1 tip level that it seems like all the podcasts do. And then there's a second level called, I want to be where the bands are, which is going to open up additional content throughout the month, including we think, which will be very cool, a live stream that we're going to do where the audience will participate and we'll take questions. Yeah, that's what I'm most excited about, being able to talk to you guys directly and not going through Twitter, but uh, going face to face and whatever uh, whatever platform we use for that. And that's going to be uh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, we're experimenting with a couple of platforms for the live stream. We are recording the show these days on Riverside, which is a great platform for podcasts, and they have a live stream option that's 
probably the leading candidate right now, but we're considering others. We just think this is going to be really a lot of fun, especially as the tour revs up. Oh, exactly. I think uh, getting kind of real time or near real time reactions and, and see what people are thinking will be, that'll, as I said, that'll be fun. <laughs> so what we're going to do over the next week, we hope to get an episode up on Evergreen Podcast as soon as possible after the Tampa show with our reaction. And that will be on your favorite platform again. And then a week later or so, we're going to do a special episode, which will be on Patreon, but it'll be open to everyone looking at the first two, three, maybe four shows of the tour. And then from there, we're going to continue with our evergreen episodes, as I said. And throughout the month, we'll be posting reactions and and doing they won't probably be as full episodes as we do here for an hour, but there will be. 15, 20 minutes here and there with our thoughts. Perhaps he plays a show and there's just a holy crap moment. We'll jump on with our reaction. There's also going to be some written component to it. So it should be really cool. And the community has been so nice to us. And we're looking forward, as we say, to, to interacting with people more directly. Yeah, we've been uh, very blown away by the support that, that we've gotten by the number of the number of subscribers, certainly the number of people listening, listening to us. And I think this is just uh, we're taking it to, to another level and, uh, and to get more to get more content out there. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, you never know with these things, as I like to say to Flynn with these podcasts. When we started this, I warned them. I said, look, most of these podcasts are listened to by your dog, your mother, and like three friends. And that and that's really the truth, which is why we're so blown away by the fact that people are actually listening to us. Oh, true. But my dog doesn't even listen to us. So I, I, I well, can't comment on other people's dogs. We'll have to get into that later. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. That was our little ad for Patreon. And check it out again, patreon.com backslash NBTB podcast. And here are the details on the show. None But the Brave is produced by Bull Market Entertainment and presented by Evergreen Podcasts. On Twitter, check us out at NBTB Podcast. As I just said, our Patreon page is patreon.com backslash NBTB Podcast. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.